everyone and welcome to another Scots We Hate podcast and we are in the Dakota Hotel just outside Glasgow to talk to a beer jacket himself, Peter Kelly. Oh Peter. How are you doing? Um, well we're, we're here really to talk about Silver Chords which is songs and stories um, which is out now on, on Scottish fiction so you tell us in your own words a little bit about um, Silver Chords. Well this was a project that began uh, from an inception about three years ago to this remarkable uphill struggle of actually putting the idea together and making it any more than just an idea. So the, the idea occurred to me that it might be a nice uh, way of bringing into the physical world an album in this day and age to write a book and to have the stories that uh, that came to me from the songs actually appear as stories rather than just as these sort of theoretical ideas in my head um, which if it was left to me uh, probably would have never really come to fruition I had to have this affirmed for me that it was actually a good idea by people that had common sense about whether or not I was <laughs> going to manage to do it so um, I asked my best friend asked my wife and they both thought it was a good idea So, I, was, uh, I mean uh, We'll show you a picture of this when we come to, to post this up, but it's an absolutely beautiful book. It is, and my hands were utterly shaken when I held it for the first time. And I mean, it's not often that I think my, my uh, idea ever has really appeared in reality in the same sort of, you know, t- to the same degree of, of exactitude. It really was what was in my head, and I couldn't quite believe that I was holding this thing that I had that I dreamed of. And it really is a, a beautiful thing. So, and there's also some illustrations in it. Are they your illustrations? They well? are. I, Fantastic. That was Julia Duggan. Has to take a lot of the credit for that, even though it certainly didn't look like that when I gave it to her. I mean, it was uh, basically badly taken photographs of my drawings stuffed into a poly pocket with uh, with all the, the kind of printed sheets. It did not look like that. Um, I think you know it takes a it takes somebody with a lot of vision and. Uh, in, in Julia's case it's not just her ability to see things I mean she's, she's a graphic designer so right. she was bringing these kind of proper skills um, but she insisted that I drew all the pictures she felt that that would have created more intimacy than if she was to reproduce them which is what I actually asked for in the first place was that she would take these drawings that I had done and she would do them properly Ah right, oh, no, I, think, I think they're perfect the way they are they really kind of add something to the book um, and Julia, she's performed so a few times. Yeah, isn't yeah. She? yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think, if, I mean, even though I think our initial sort of relationship came from you know just playing gigs together, and then she stood in at one point and sang with me, and has stayed ever since. You know, because we're really great friends for one thing, but I think there's just something very. I think there's just something really special about our voices together, and, and I, there aren't many people who I would have thought would be able to work with me to be honest <laughs> I have to say I've heard you uh, both uh, together and your voices do work well together um, I think we'll talk a little bit about your music uh, career um, later on because I think I saw you first in the mid noughties would that be right? In oh it might well be yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah so you've been, been going for a while, for a while. and uh, when I was telling a few people uh, that we were going to be doing this today they were like oh yeah I remember seeing him doing that she's still going and it's been, he certainly is and he's got new material out I think especially because I disappeared for a few years yeah. you know because I was working on this I mean I was more or less kind of holed away creating this wow. thing because it takes a long time to, yeah. to to put any one of these things together and putting them all together took you know took three years well, I know how long it takes to write a book, and you'll know how long it takes to put a CD together. So to cram these things together and do it right as you've done, yeah, yeah I can imagine it. Kind of, it did take a long time. I think people did either either they had forgotten about it altogether, or else they'd thought that it was probably more enigmatic than it was. You know, I was I wasn't <laughs> trying. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be. You know puzzling or, or mysterious I was genuinely busy, I was away working you know. <laughs> yeah, well that's the other thing, real life gets in the way as well, well yeah, you have to yeah. work and you have to do all these things, absolutely, absolutely yeah, yeah. Um, so, I think if it's okay with you, I'm going to get you to read the foreword because it gives people an idea of the, th- the, the themes behind the book and the, and the CD Sure this is really, really new. I've been saying that. I mean, <laughs> this is a this is a new part of my Out your comfort experience. Zone. It is absolutely. 
Maybe we're living in the last days of physical things. Maybe we are the last of those physical things. Everything now seems to exist in some vague realm that we pin down weakly with language that is itself constantly evolving and morphing. We don't really possess anything anymore, we only access and share things. We're all just floating in space. Of course, we always were just floating in space, but now, without any objects to weigh us down, it feels like we could just spin off into orbit and lose the illusion of being anywhere. When I was growing up, I cared more about records and books than pretty much anything else. For that very reason, I owned barely any records or books because these things had value, and with value there was always a cost. Now we struggle to convince people that things have a value at all, and no one wants to pay for anything. Maybe as well as living in the last days of physical things, we're living in the last days, the days of the last songs. People who care for songs beyond their three minutes are a dying breed. The first time you heard a song used to be carved into your memory and twined with other firsts and vital seconds. A song was like the Delirian from Back to the Future. Hearing a song could transport your atoms immediately to a different time and place, like you'd stepped through a portal, a magical mirror. These days the only things people will readily pay for are those which offer convenience or which have some sort of practical usefulness. Well, art isn't convenient at all, and it's fiercely impractical, but there can be no doubt of its deep and essential value. Without art, we couldn't hope to express the world of dreams, and instead we would be stuck with the cold and monochromatic routine of the everyday. In dreams and in art, you can be anywhere, do anything, be anyone. Dreams are the chords sewn throughout our realities. If yours are as vivid as mine, they might be more tangible than many real things anyway. How many times have you woken up to find yourself facing a new morning and wondered what on earth is going on? For however many hours you manage a night, you're repeatedly immersed in what you're sure is real only to find that it was not. That state of disorientation is one in which most of us secretly live our lives, pretending all the while that we know exactly what we're doing and understand fully what the world expects of us. The truth is that everyone is guessing, but some of us happen to be gifted actors or just liars. And those are the very people whose apparent lack of fear places so much pressure on the rest of us to be sure of our direction. So, in this time of floating impermanence, the act of buying a book or a record really feels like a grand gesture. Like picking a side. The side that says that art matters. The one that says no to practical things in favour of the practice of things. It's a team to which anyone can belong because there is a book, a record, a photograph or a painting that will seem to speak louder to you than anyone else in the universe. Even better is the realisation that there may be millions of others who feel the same way about that same work of art as you do. For each of those people, it is a mirror of something true to them as individuals and simultaneously it connects them to all of those other individuals. No one is alone and no one is completely unique. Imagine if we all stopped and looked up to see ourselves in each other and just listened together. We would still be floating in space without a clue what we're doing, but how much better would it be to join hands and float together? Now imagine we had real physical things again. Imagine the weight that would give us. Those things that we used to love and be defined by, imagine that we tied ourselves to those mirrors again, the ones that allow us to see ourselves, to be ourselves and to be with others. Fantastic. I think that's really um, poignant because of how what a beautiful thing this is. But it also um, a, makes me think of when I first started particularly buying records. And that was the thing, you know, you would save the money that you had, yeah. you know, and you would go down to usually Woolworths or some place that would, you could get cheaper records and or whatever than the stuff that was coming out. And then somewhere along the line, that just sort of got lost. And I, I mean, even with myself, you know, when I started to earn a little bit of money working, and then, you know, I would still be spending loads of money on music. But I was less discerning, didn't mean as much, you know, um, earlier today when I was talking about Blue Nile and the oh. Blue Nile records, you know. I can't believe you're talking about the Blue Nile, That's I'm obsessed with the Blue yeah. Nile right now. And this is the other thing we find, that they've they, they become one of these bands that they're like the worst kept secret ever, because everyone you talk <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. I love them, but nobody ever really talks about them. Have you heard really? the classic story about uh, somebody recommending the Blue Nile to Paul Buchanan? <laughs> I mean, that's... That's exactly that. what it's all about. I can about. imagine he'd probably be, probably be quite polite and go, well, thank you very much, yeah, I must yeah. check them out. Um, 
so I remember getting a walk across the rooftops. I still have that original vinyl record. It's pristine, mm. and I don't even I haven't even played it that much in terms of because it means so much to me. Yeah, like, yeah. like, oh, am I going to play that this time? It's going to mean less to me than it has before. But there was, I mean, I can remember just playing records to death. Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, been another one. One because that's all you could afford for some time. Mm-hmm. And secondly, because you just wanted to spend time with that uh, with that record and find out all the little things about it. And it's the way I feel about my favourite books as well. Yeah, you know you um, you miss characters when the book ends. and yeah. and I can uh, I've, I've genuinely got a desire to live inside Kate Bush's Hounds of Love. I would like to live in that yeah, album. That's a great, uh, a great um, idea. And when we were talking at the best Scottish books of this year, my favourite one is a collection of poetry by Jenny Fagan called right. uh, There's a Witch in the Word Machine. Right. And they're spell poems. They're really fantastic. But it kind of, a bit like carrying an album around or something, it was in my bag all the time. And when I had a spare five minutes, I would go and pick it up and read it again because... You want to, you find new things each time, yeah, yeah, but you also yeah. are enjoying that familiarity with them as well as you would with the records. I mean, I can, you know, you know the words to songs from decades ago. And you think, why do I still retain that song? But it's because you spent so much, so much time with it. I think. I think it ends up kind of almost changing. It changes you as a person. So, you know, when you when you look at a record or a book that mean something to you and, and I can remember carrying things about with me like I can I can remember having a tape of Nirvana's Nevermind in my blazer pocket when I was at school for no reason you know just <laughs> yeah. almost like I wanted to always remind myself that you know that was part of me that yeah, was absolutely. you know so I think that that's that's the thing when you you know you've got these things that you've encountered in your life that have in some way changed you they're kind of they're bookmarks to you know all those different points in your life and absolutely so when you look at, I think sometimes there is a pleasure in almost just looking at a thing without necessarily listening to it or or, or, or even reading it, just knowing it's there. And as I was saying in that little forward, I think it does weigh you down, like in a positive way. Mm-hmm. It gives you some sort of grounding, you know, that you that you really do exist. That you know that this is you've been alive at this time and this thing appeared in your life, and that's part of the reason. You would like to think maybe part of the reason why you were born then was to encounter that thing at that time. I think the idea of having an object that is beautiful, that is now almost coming round again. You've seen the recent revival of vinyl, Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a problem there because now that's becoming so expensive, it's almost going the way of the CD, you know, that that happened at the end. But when that started, it was often smaller independent companies that said, we're going to put this out in vinyl, see if anybody wants it. It wasn't the big companies, they were still putting stuff out on DVD. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they were things of beauty. And even when I first started doing this site and I was getting music sent to me, and they would still be in CDs, but they would be so lovingly packaged. Mm -hmm. Or people would be doing maybe a little bit of... um, Embroidery to go along with it, or they would be doing badges, or they would be, I mean, well, really, you embroidery, know. Embroidery, that's yeah, really committed. <laughs> that's great. Um, I was at a, a gig just the other night, and it was uh, Elizabeth Russell who was doing a night of her. She's originally from Romania, stroke Moldova, and she did a whole night of traditional songs. It was an amazing night. Right. She said, I've got CDs to sell at the back, but. Um, I've also got, and I can't remember what it was, but it was basically something she had crafted herself, you know, she's in the great, great presents for Christmas, stuff like that, but it kind of all fits in. It's yeah, yeah. a thing. I, I get it, I completely get it, because I think, I mean, I, I've been asked a few times recently about sort of, it's a kind of token question about how things have changed and is it yeah. more difficult to release music now and things and to an extent it maybe is but only in that it's forcing people with less imagination to try a bit harder yeah, yeah. you know what I mean because you, you should be putting some sort of uh, you know creative desirable thing together sure. otherwise why should somebody pay for it yeah, nobody, no, it, nobody yeah. needs a record nobody you know will, will starve without you making music so you've got to make that in some way have an importance in their life mm-hmm. and you know maybe in the past it would have been easier to impact with you know there being less distraction and less the, you know of, of the technology and all the rest of it but 
you know, that doesn't mean that those records that meant something to you when there was less distraction don't have more significance. It just means that now, with there being so much noise, what you're saying has to has to have some sort of meaning. Yeah, has and, to stand out, has yeah. to stand aside. I think it's really interesting, um, you know, this is on Scottish Fiction, which is a smallish indie uh, label, um, and there's quite a lot of small indie labels about just now, I think driven by people who are incredibly passionate about what they do. Oh, completely. And these are the people that are creating the, the objects and the moments and allowing people like yourself to kind of do the vision and it's small collaboration whereas the problem with big business music <laughs> industry is it's far too big so you know the, the, the chances are that the musician certainly used to build this whether it still is like this they wouldn't dress themselves they wouldn't have any say in how it looked they wouldn't have any say in how it sounded often yeah. they certainly wouldn't have any way in how it was marketed but with your uh, relationship with Neil um, at uh, Scottish Fiction, you know, you're both working together and, you know, doing the same thing. I've, I've been it. saying this to, to people. I, I mean, I thought that it would completely break down the moment I said what I actually wanted to do. He said that he wanted to put out something for me, something special. wanted yeah. to do something special. And I, he, what he really meant was vinyl. He yeah. wanted to do a vinyl release. Um, but I... I I thought if I don't share what I actually want to do then you'll never know yeah. so when I, when I said no I would like to release this as a book and every every song's got a story I thought he would just say no I thought that would be <laughs> the end of the road no, totally. you know but I mean I think you're right I think that the, the sort of smaller uh, independents they are driven by something different than the you know the, the kind of big companies are always about a fast return mm-hmm. now I'm, for a start, too slow a worker to get a fast return because I don't believe in working quickly. I believe in working committedly towards something that matters, you know. So, uh, so the the kind of the fast return would never have been a thing for me. So you really want to work with people that want some sort of other reward. And for Neil, the reward I think was that rather than me suggesting this idea and it just been immediately you know jettisoned into the into the ether as just a good idea or an interesting idea but let's do a vinyl release he went with it and I think it's a sign that you know not only are people that are passionate about uh, releasing independently more likely to invest in an idea they're also investing their own risk in it their own yeah. you know yeah, we've yeah. both stepped out of our comfort zone Neil's never released a book before no. and he's learned everything from scratch in terms of you know th- th- there was a big laugh when he talked about this at a bookshop recently about how he didn't even realise he needed an ISBN number yeah. I mean there's, there's just the, the, the process of learning about all of this has been just massive for both of us and as we've got more and more people involved in making it happen it's been it's become a real sort of warm, uh, kind of communal project where otherwise it could have felt to me like a real self-indulgence. Mm. I'm getting to do everything that I want to do. I'm I'm so far from that, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'd be mortified at the idea that this looks like anything other than, you know, I've I had this idea and I'm, and I've been supported by other people. Yeah. That is that is a hundred percent the truth. You know, wouldn't have happened without Julia. Wouldn't have happened without Neil. Actually, wouldn't have happened even as a record without Stuart McLeod that recorded it. Mm-hmm. He's recorded the past three records, including this one with me. And I think I would have I would have killed that record. I would have killed the past two as well through overwork, through trying to hide things. He's he's very good at basically scything through all of my insecurity right, and just going, no, that's the way that we should leave it, don't hide it, don't cover yeah. anything up, you know so, um, so I, I, it sounds ridiculous to say because I know I've obviously done a lot here and a lot of work but this is a this is a communal project, my name doesn't appear on it, you know, and that's something that only fairly grudgingly that I put my name on anything because yeah. It's, it just feels like as soon as you put your name on something I don't know if this is Scottish cringe material right but uh, as soon as you put your name on something there's almost a kind of 
there's a risk that you might be too defensive about it, uh-huh. and then you might damage it because I you should just understand. yeah, you should just be you should just be putting something out as honestly as possible. So a way, the only way to do that really is to do it in disguise. You know, nobody can really be completely honest if they've got their name on something. But these things are always collaborations, whether you know your completely. names or, or not. I mean, I know. Um, having worked with books, that the relationship between the writer and the editor is an absolutely crucial one. Did you have an editor in this? I did, it? I. Um, I worked with Charles McGarry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who I, I, I think. Of the Leo Moran mysteries. Yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I'm on to the second one now. Yeah. I've, I've, I've just started it, actually. I've, I've got too many books piled up. And in fact, just as a, as a side note, one of the things that I've discovered that's really different is that you get much slower feedback on a book than you get on a record you know because of the sort of instant nature of how people listen to and process music these days you get a very quick kind of response from you can people. listen to a CD in the afternoon Aye. like you've really like well I have anyway to sit down and take your time with a book to really get into it yeah and I, I think that that's that's been terrifying actually I mean putting something out which is of that slower nature you know, the the return is so much slower as well, you know, and 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 you kinda do feel like you need a wee bit of reassurance. Is this good? You yeah. know? And I mean you don't want to ask either, so it's <laughs> a real catch twenty two, you know. Um, to use another book. But um I so Charles at kinda earlier stage in it, um I sent him over. He read stuff before anybody else and pff, I can't remember exactly the wording, did I? I might even have said is this good? You know, it was probably a wee bit of a, a less certain email than, than I might have wanted to, to send out, you know, but I was really kind of, I was kind of trusting him to give me give me his honest reaction. And not only did he give me that, he gave me so, so much um, support in terms of telling me where, you know, something maybe needed to change a wee bit or whatever. You know, obviously he's he's coming from a reader's perspective, but he's also a writer, so I think that's a really, really important, important point. Uh, and it's a good thing, I think, in these situations to get a writer to look at your stuff because yeah. they understand they understand how honest they've got to be for it to work. They can't just say, Oh, it's perfect as it is. No, you know, no, because no. nobody's stuff's like that. No, and even after I fixed things, I mean I knew it wasn't perfect yeah. and I think there were probably about fifty drafts or something by then. And it, it, the thing is it, it book part of it was purposely supposed to be short yeah. I wanted the stories ideally to be about the length of a song mm-hmm. I don't think that's quite exact but it's, it's you know not not a million miles off and they're sort of like longer kind of flash fiction sort yeah. of styles short stories so I mean even just that in terms of like kind of editing down an idea basically like three bullet points that was my, my kind of planning strategy yeah. was I need to know, you know, what am I thrusting the, the you know the reader into at the beginning, what's gonna happen next, how's this gonna end? And I mean it was just kind of had to be as simplistic as that in, mm. in terms of just organising the fact that these I'm not exaggerating, I had, you know, these stories were just appearing coinciding with the songs and so I'm dealing with two different things that are floating in my head at one time and especially knowing that I was recording an album that had these stories but that nobody at the point when I was recording them was actually going to be putting it out yeah. their record was actually finished I think before Neil said that he would he would do something you know and so these stories they were almost like kind of kind of niggling at me and, and eating in the back of my head for all of the songs and they didn't have a home Right, you know, yeah. there was a there was a book format, but I didn't have anybody that was actually going to put it out. Nobody knew that I was even doing it. Yeah. It, it felt like a kind of like a kind of mad pursuit. Like, yeah. you know, what what exactly is this other thing that's going on? And especially, I mean, you'll know yourself. You know, when you've been writing something, and you've got, you know, we've always got these disclaimers at the front that say that you know it's entirely coincidental, etc. But there were settings where I was maybe driving past or walking past and I was aware of what was going on in those rooms. And, you know, they weren't... It was just stories in my yeah, head. Course, these yeah. incidents weren't happening. These characters weren't real. So without a home for any of these things or these people, that's... It's a strange... You're leaving these things in a strange limbo. And, you know, so I, I, I was well aware that when I was um, putting this together, I was kind of... I was occupying so many different parts of my brain. I was I had these pictures in my head as well, and 
and I knew that I wanted to put them into illustrations and things and but at the same time I, I thought well you know I'm not a writer and I'm not an artist I barely even feel like a songwriter most of the time it just feels like a like a surreal dream now to be sitting with the thing finished mm-hmm. sure sure um so to talk a little bit about the relationships between the songs and the stories because the way they're set out on the back you've got the equal uh, billing the equal billing <laughs> yeah exactly I'm just trying to check it's the songs first and then the stories yeah. after so to talk a little bit about the way that they work together well I mean the, I, I, first of all Neil asked me a, a bookshop thing that we were doing recently did you ever have any stories go along with songs before? And I didn't, and I'd not even really thought about this. But the, the stories kind of floated into my head at the same time as the, as the songs. Did they necessarily connect always exactly? No, definitely not. I mean, some of the time, they're based entirely on dreams that I've had. Right. You know, So they were basically, I suppose, in the same way that... Uh, this probably sounds like a lie, but I'll wake up sometimes with a song and I was waking up with these stories that were sort of fitting alongside and I could see the relation and there were words maybe that were were similar, were chiming between the songs and the stories, but they were two separate things. So I was interested, how did you know they were two separate things? I don't know if you ever really know that things are separate. I mean, I'm, I'm st- discovering connections between things that I know... You know, I know we're there before I, I wrote anything down. But you would go, wake up and go, right, that's a story. That's yeah, not a song yeah. lyric, it's a story. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, there were, there were sort of scraps of it that I was writing that were almost more like non-fiction, that, you know, were just almost kind of diary-style kind of just realisations or feelings that I had that I would be writing things down and then these would turn up in the narrative of the characters. But then, you know, to sort of dispel this... The stories aren't about me, but the songs I couldn't deny are. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the characters in the stories are not they're they're not they're not like me even when they are because these are dissatisfied people and I'm, I'm I feel like maybe uh, maybe if, if there's any connection between characters that I've got, for example, uh, there's, there's a character I'm thinking of in particular with with a family that has exactly the same <laughs> formation as mine. He's got a he's got a son, a daughter, and he, he's a wife. But that being that's hardly a a very close approximation of anybody. It's no. completely generic. I think when we were talking before we started about well, I've, I've done quite a few podcasts with musicians, and I've certainly done a lot with writers, and that the musicians are often not always, but they're kind of hesitant to talk about the songs. Whereas the writers are quite happy to talk about the books, right? And um, that's that generalising in <laughs> hugely. But I wonder if it is because the songs, people's songs, tend to be personal. But I mean, and these ones I are don't definitely. Maybe want to talk about that because they've done it in the song already. So listen to the song. I've had people say that to me. Yeah, yeah. understand it. Listen to the song. I know, but I, I mean, I think that is quite evasive as well because I mean, whilst I would say. Definitely these songs are personal, mm-hmm. more personal than I've, I've written in the past, probably. But the way that I talk sometimes is so oblique, mm-hmm. and when I write things down, it's even more so. That, you know, even if I'm writing something that I think seems clear as day, you know, I'm writing it heaped in metaphor. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's the classic, you know, classic act of the singer-songwriter that they write a really personal song but they completely hide everything yeah. they're writing about yeah, yeah. I mean, so I wonder if the stories are also personal but just better hidden uh, <laughs> you see especially when they're coming from uh, dreams I don't know how well uh, they probably are hidden if that's the case I mean my the, the best pal that asked if it was a good idea, he doesn't remember ever having said that it was a good idea, but he did. Um, he he uh, sent me a message after reading one of the stories, uh, Shoots of Life, and he said that uh, he said I really liked your story. By the way, I was like, oh, good, thank you. He said I thought it was autobiographical until you got to the name. I was like, you know, it, just because it's first person, it doesn't yeah. mean it's autobiographical. And he went, sounds like you. And I said, right, well, um, you know, I'm a woman in some of the stories. And he went, sounds like you. <laughs> and then he said, and I said that uh, one of the women's got a really horrible friend. And at that point, he didn't say sounds like you. He said, is it about me? So. You know, I think I think when you write this is something new to me as well. When you write something that is not in a song format, where it is potentially more like you know, it could be thematic and it could fit with 
you know, uh, anybody's experience, and maybe that's partly what a songwriter's going for as well, is to try and fit a more kind of, you know, general response. Maybe we're, we're all going for, you know, people connecting, and yeah. you know, but but with a, a story, I think people are always looking for themselves, and you know what the person who is in some way related to them has written. You I, know? I think especially when it's people who know you. And yeah. when you write, when anyone I've spoken to other people, because when they write, they're like, "Is that based on me? Is that based on such and such?" Or that? There definitely are. There are some. There are some similarities. You can't. You can't escape from that. No. But I mean, I, I don't think there was anything as a. There wasn't as anything as calculated as that. I mean, yeah. I was. I I think I'm a secretary. I'm just listening to the ideas that are coming to me and maybe somebody else has got a better position and they've got more right to say I think that this is actually about, you know, blah, blah, blah in the same way that people can interpret your dreams, you know. I think it's also really interesting because I'm going to guess that this wasn't calculated either but the ideas of writing about dreams and also flash fiction, short fiction at the moment is really quite, um, it's having a moment. There's a lot of great um, short story writers and uh, flash fiction writers who've had stuff out in the last year and this I mean even go back to Jenny Fagan's spell poems this idea that we're getting information which is not conscious it's a kind of semi-conscious or it's coming from somewhere else Mm -hmm. and as you say you're a secretary or an interpreter or you're kind of putting this stuff out there you're not entirely sure Hmm. where it's coming from I think that's really interesting I feel a bit bit like a bus driver almost because you kind of you, you just inspect what is it that this thing wants to do? Where does it want to go? And you just take it there and, and you know, you, you let it go. Let and it go and that's yeah. one of the things that I think was quite difficult to do with the with the book. I was getting a really bad rep with, with Neil and with Julia because Julia was doing all the typesetting and everything. And uh, obviously Neil was just wanting to make sure that this thing was going to come out on time because <laughs> um, he put so much work into the, uh, all the stuff before. And, 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 and so it, 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 I think... I was getting a really I was starting to get annoying now because I didn't want to let it go um, but that's three years worth of work of course you don't want to let it go I'm and it will never really be finished yeah well that, and you I mean most writers will tell you that that you just have to let it go at some point or you would just you know you'd be writing the continuous yeah. well, there was a, a writer a Glasgow writer called um, Jeff Torrington who was um, a contemporary of Alistair Gray and James Kelman and Tom Leonard and he was in that Hobsbawm group and uh, he, he, would, he would come to the group for a bit and then he wouldn't be seen for a while and he'd come back and he wouldn't be seen for a while and then oh, I'm still writing my book still, meanwhile they're putting stuff out and you know getting great reputations and Jeff eventually put Swing Hammer Swing out which won the Whitbed Prize in the early 90s but this he'd been working on it for ages and that was his thing he says I just can't let this go I, I mean I, I think Publishers usually say to you, you've got to let it go, because there's a deadline on getting the thing published. That's usually what happens in there. Uh, maybe because it was the only book Neil was doing, he was not too maybe, bad about that. Maybe once, once all the other acts on his label want to put out a book, he'll not be so forgiven. But, um, but I think, you know, it's a wee bit of a selfishness. You want to stay with the characters, and you want to stay with That's this whole sort of, you know, this whole world. And I, I'll be honest, I think, you know... Especially given that, well, given that I haven't been honest, and that some of the the settings definitely are places that are nearby where I live, um, and 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 places that I am a lot, I kind of am a wee bit reluctant to allow the door to shut on all of those places that I've been occupying in my head, mm-hmm. and I do get a weird sort of feeling as I as I go past places. As I say, I do feel like I know what's happening in there, and I and you. you one of the things that I really wanted to do as well was leave the characters quite kind of vague Mm -hmm. and not, you know, fill in too many details because it would be presumptuous to assume that I know everything about them anyway Uh, they're just characters that floated into my head and stories that floated into my head and I didn't want to uh, get any more involved with their details than I do with the songs Um, which makes me want to ask the question would you write more? Are you going to write more? Is this the first book, the first collection? I've, I've got loads and loads of ideas. The only thing is I don't want to do the same thing that I've done this time. Yeah, yeah. So inevitably, see when you've done something that's quite ambitious and it's outside of your your comfort zone, you can't occupy that zone again. You can't say that you're still going out of your comfort zone and you do exactly the same thing. So, I mean, inevitably now, because I've 
I've created this uh, relationship or these relationships with people that have indulged my over-ambitious idea. These are some of the same people that I would be asking again, you know, what do you think about this idea, you know? Um, I mean, some of the some of the suggestions, fueled by too much coffee a lot of the time, <laughs> that I've, I've made have, yeah. have just been... The suggestions have been completely over the top, and yet, so far, the response similar to how this one went down has been, "I will, we'll, we'll try that, and we'll contact this person. We'll do this." I just, I, I like making things, yeah. and and so it's, what kind it's of not about are you me. talking about? You don't have to tell us in detail. You want to keep them secret. Well, I, I mean, I didn't tell anybody about this, mm-hmm. for example, until. In, literally until it was announced mm-hmm. so by that point it was already happening you know um, I mean I'm, I'm a wee bit cagey to be honest with yep. you talking about Don't ideas worry. because when I, I, my, my worst nightmare was that somebody was going to find out that we were doing this and they were going to just do a hack job of it quickly and you know throw out the idea mm-hmm. because for me it wasn't about the novelty of the idea I really had to make, make this thing I had to make it good and I had yeah. to make it happen you know, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm not so. If I was precious about my ideas, I would put my name on it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I'm, I'm precious only about the quality of whatever the the thing is. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't care about myself to be honest mm-hmm. with you as being a component in this. And ideally, you know, uh, the the truth would be uh, that I would be. I, I would kind of not be I wouldn't be involved I would just get to enjoy it yeah I mean it's, it sounds like a I don't know if it sounds like a, it maybe sounds like I'm not being genuine and I really hope it doesn't sound like I'm not being genuine but I like this thing so much that I wish I could just enjoy it yeah I wish I could just be an impartial observer an audience member Participating just in, in, in I totally believe to that it. because I know I mean a lot of people spoken to or just spoke to anyway who are involved in music in particular, but also in, in other areas of the arts, they find it quite a painful thing to do. <laughs> you know, and you think, well, why put yourself through it? Because I love what comes out the other side of it, yeah. and they don't think it's. It, you say it's not about having the name up in lights or anything. Not it's about saying, well, look what's come out. You know, people who are almost physically sick before they go on stage but they love playing their instrument and they love to hear other people play their instruments and, and, and even just collaborate I know people that would be happy playing in an empty hall it's the playing together yeah, yeah. that's the thing, in fact they might be happier playing than it, you know, <laughs> they would say But um, so I completely believe that you know, and, and it's the same with um, you know, some painters I know that go through you know, really, oh is this right and then you start again and you think well why put yourself through that because it's not that they want to sell what comes out at the end for millions, it's because that it's the thing at the end that, that's the important that's important. It's not the people involved really, although as you say collaboration is a really important thing, but it's the quality out of the thing that comes out at the end. I just feel that being in whatever way creative is really generous and and you know, I, I just think that's it's, there's a virtue to just making a thing and not wanting something back and so I like I like making things because I think that people respond to that and they they enjoy that there are creative things in the world you yeah, know absolutely. and it, and I've only really over the past wee while started to fall in love with being creative again mm-hmm. you know and I, I mean I say only recently I realised for three years I've been creating a thing but I think that when you know there have been times in the past when. I've just not realised that that's a fortunate thing to be able to do and that, and that you should be grateful of that and do it because you can and to make something for other people. So did you, you said earlier that you kind of took a break or you, you, you weren't kind of around music in terms of uh, out playing gigs and stuff, was that a deliberate choice? I just, I, I didn't want to just keep doing things uh, without there being, how do I put it? I think just playing music and not having something new that I could give people was maybe that would be a bit too much of a self-satisfied thing to do where you're just what do you just want applause you know you've got to give people something you've got to make something in order to deserve any sort of thanks you know so going and playing I could have played constantly for years what would be the point you know I mean look look at we were talking about the Blue Nile earlier Mm -hmm. who I'm seriously I'm I'm completely obsessed with Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm 
I, I think you know the whole sort of the whole kind of it's, it's not an aesthetic what is it philosophy I suppose yes, yeah. that he has well, you know they, they were I mean I happened to know because I was talking about them earlier today but between the first and second album five years second and third album seven years <laughs> yeah. third and fourth album eight years because they wanted it to be this as close to perfection as they could get it they wanted to work it I mean it wasn't just that they were you know do, I mean they did off some other things in those times but you know to, to be away for that long and then to come back with something that um, was at least as great as what went before is an incredible thing to do I think I think yeah. that second record is it's just perfect yeah. I mean every single time I listen to it it feels like it's informing more of what I think being creative is all about yeah. every time I listen to it I start to realise more why you make something and I listen to it every day. Yeah. So it's any wonder I'm getting more excited about being creative. But yeah. do you know, I think something about something about his whole I mean I, I'm I'm giving it all down to him. I mean it is I think a large part of his voice, Paul Buchanan's voice and the way that he sings, not just the way that it sounds, but the way that he sings, it so closely mirrors the honesty of the way that he speaks and in interviews and the fact that he very seldom speaks in interviews. Yeah. It's not about the amount of the amount that he creates. It's amount. It's the amount of um, value in what he creates. I think and that's I really interesting because I think it goes to about it's not the amount of things that you say, or it's not the amount of things yeah, that yeah. you put out. It's what you do or what you say when you do say something or when you do put something out. You know that's got to have value, and it only has value if it's if there's something rare about it as well I think you're right I think it's very interesting to hear you say I could have gone on playing every weekend different people and I would have got applause and I've got people that like my songs and all of that stuff but it's not there's enough got to be more. Though, it's not, it's, it kind of goes away from the creative thing and I know um, uh, musicians and writers who some of them have chucked it but because actually the process of going out and selling the book or selling the record or all that stuff has kind of just turned them off the whole thing. What they really want to do is making the next one mm. or writing the next one or doing that kind of thing. That's the important process. I've purposely, uh, I've purposely ignored the album that I wrote accidentally at the end of all of this so that I didn't get too interested in what's next because that's completely at odds. Uh, I've, I've, you know, it's at odds with what I think uh, this has all been about. Is make, it's making a thing that's going to have some sort of permanence to it. I yeah. don't like the idea that I'd be thinking about the next thing, so I've, I've I've basically switched off from the future so that I can just be in the moment. Could I get you to read the afterword then as well? I think that would be good because we're talking about we talked about how the book began, so here we're going to have a look at how it how it ends. It's not a spoiler thing, so don't worry. <laughs> Might be a funny thing to ask at the end of a book, but why bother writing anything? It seems that more people write than read now, so who is there to write for? It always was a selfish conceit. I have a vivid childhood memory of trying to walk through a wall. As a child, you believe that anything is possible. As you get older, you might get wiser, but becoming more committed to an idea doesn't necessarily mean being more certain that you're right. Pictorially, a human life might be best illustrated in a comic strip. In the first square, the child is walking through a wall. In the second, the adult is telling the child it can't be done. In the third, the wall collapses on them both. Adults don't have it all sewn up, but they're sewn into the clothes that help them remember who they are, who they must be, who they've agreed to be. As a child, you believe that adults have some sort of power, and then you get there and discover that the infinitesimal autonomy you enjoy could fit inside a thimble. Look at your life and all the time you occupy looking forward. It's like you're a ghost of the future haunting your present. Responsibilities are hungry and will eat you alive. Your minutes are planned more than they're lived and you exist in a state of eternal frustration. Not at having failed to shake yourself free, but at having chosen to remain a prisoner. You're more a boss of your body than a person sometimes. The more you embrace the adult world, the more you come to resemble other adults. We abandon creativity for necessity and in doing so we abandon ourselves. We perform for others so much of the time that we might even forget that it's a performance and so we continue to act, even alone, until we become almost unrecognisable to ourselves. 
Maybe you know the midnight terror that sets in when you meet a stranger in your home, in your own skin. So that's it there, that's the reason to write. Write because it's your heart. Giving your heart to the world is giving it life, and let them break it. Once you've given it away, it's not yours to protect or preserve. Destruction is creation, or so says Picasso, and well, he's Picasso. So let it happen. Just throw it out to the dogs and let them do what they will. I'm arguing with myself now to let it go. Eventually there will be the last songs, but songs last. Not just the loved ones, but the ones nobody likes, the lonely ones, the ugly ones, and even the forgotten ones. They're all out there for good, floating around in the air like lost balloons. Their breaths kissed into life. Songs are dreams that escaped. I think that when you dream, you're peeking behind the scenes at the real nature beyond nature. A dream shows you the truth in the way a boom mic does when it floats into the camera shot. There are cracks all over. This egg is hatching soon. Maybe when you sleep, you don't sleep at all. Maybe the reason your dreams are so real is that you're really always awake. Maybe the line between your imagined world and the world you imagine in is an eyelid, barely open, barely closed. It's great, great finish to the book. And it's, it's, I love that idea that the, the, the songs last, the songs will always be out there, even the ones which, you know, aren't the, the favourite songs, you know, how much the Blue Nile songs does. But I always think there's probably somewhere somebody, every song that will go, that's my favourite song. I know, it's amazing. You might even admit it, but, you know, there is. There's songs um, for everyone. Um, having created this uh, book and CD, how do you envisage how songs will be uh, the future? Because songs will always be written. Mm-hmm. They always have been, and they always will be. Um, and it really just is in ways that we are going to engage with them. And I think there was a worry... Um, maybe in the in the mid noughties, certainly kind of roughly when I started the website, um, that as you say, if you give something, if something doesn't have any value, then you know you don't put value into it. You don't look at it with value, and it doesn't in turn affect you in the same way. But actually, there will always be songs and books and films that even if someone's picked it up on Spotify and heard it, they'll go back to it and they'll go back to it, and it will continue to mean something. So it's really just how. It's a horrible thing, but it's almost the way that business wants to monetize it. Was actually we just want to hear the songs, we just want to read the books, and we just want to talk to each other about them and all of those kind of things. I don't think they'll ever lose that power. I think that you know, even you could listen to a thousand songs on Spotify. You hear that one song that you know speaks to you is it's, it's going to have the same impact as if you know it was back in the days when you would have a, a very finite number of, of songs that you could listen to yeah. you hear a song differently that's got that kind of power well exactly because back in the days when I'd listen to the radio all the time when I was you know 11, 12, whatever, 13 and that's all I would kind of listen to apart from if I was able to get into a 7 inch single or something that was kind of the Spotify instance. Yeah, you yeah, definitely. was coming up next. Yep. But you were sitting listening to it anyway, and then you would hear, you know, whatever the song was, you would hear Bob Dylan for the first time, and you would hear something like that, and you'd go, oh my God, what's this? And you would still want to go and find out more and find out the rest of the stuff. So I think you're right. I think, you know, whether it's packaging in, in, in vinyl or whether it's on cassette or wherever it, we, it gets there, and I think that can help if you create beautiful things, they help things of beauty to kind of be presented but there will always be something just in that simple song or that line of poetry or you know the chapter in a book that you just go back to time and time again and as you said I think right at the beginning that will change your life and oh, take with it. I don't think there's any exaggeration there either like you really do I think they carry the essence of what life's all about you know these sort of uh, things that you hear for the first time that really switch something on or or if you read something that doesn't read like other books that you've read or, or whatever like, I, I don't know, I mean, people will make sort of, uh, probably make critical remarks about my favourite book my favourite book is The Catcher in the Rye yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but you know, if you're 15 years old and you meet Holden Caulfield, yeah. that could be transformative. Well, absolutely right, and, and a lot of it, um, like a lot of relationships, is all about timing. Yeah, you know, when completely. You, when you read it, um, to read something for the first time, that uh, and that can happen as late in life as it is in your younger years, but yeah, I think yeah. in your younger years, you're almost more open to it because you don't 
have the background and maybe sometimes the baggage yeah. if you read something that uh, just kind of blows your mind uh, like that or you listen to a record like the Blue Nile record and you go oh, you know I am now not the same person as when I started listening yeah. to this yeah, and I, I, I believe that will always happen. Yeah. I think it's people that are less influenced by time that are more likely to create those sorts of timeless things. Yeah. You know, if you're too aware of too aware of the time or too aware of time at all, where you're either you know looking at what else surrounds you, or else you're thinking about maybe um, moving on to the next thing, then you're going to miss so much. And that's the case for somebody who's creating something, and it's some the case for somebody who is just receptive to something if you're not listening as a creator or as somebody who is just in the world then you're going to miss so much and I, I just feel like that's that's the key to being creative is just pausing just taking a moment and discovering what's in it and you know the, the thing that makes I think the thing that makes a, a record timeless is when you almost it could have come out today it could yeah. have come out 20 years ago yeah. or it could be 20 years in the future yeah. and, and I think the music industry has been maybe foolish in thinking too much of what you know what populist concerns are at yeah. any one time when you know you look at other other artistic disciplines are not about time they're not about people's age they're not about what's fashionable no. they're not about anything other than creating something that's going yeah. to stand the test of time and you know it's just really really short sighted yeah. to to not see music as having that same value in yeah that. yeah absolutely but that that's because of the, the way that it went in terms of a teenage audience that was the thing and I think that's kind of almost I think what's really interesting is the generation maybe that are used to getting things for nothing um, the marketing folk have then had to look at the older generation because you see like if you go into a FOP or any bigger record store the, the vinyl that they've got costing about 40 quid a pop yeah. it's like the reissues of the Beatles and reissues of Bowie and reissues of but then the younger people now that are accessing as you say, like everything, they've got access to everything for free, right? Yeah. They're actually developing better tastes yeah. because they don't have these prejudices. They're not being guided so much by marketing because marketing can't reach them. No, it's an incredibly freeing thing, actually, you know, to have that if you if it's used properly. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of doom and gloom about what that'll do, but actually what it'll do is people will find the things that they love and go in and, and fall in love with them and investigate it more and have, you know... I think it's almost like... Uh, old style kind of folk tradition, the way that people would have songs sort of passed on in bosses and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. you know now it's just that the bosses are like Apple Music or Spotify or whatever, you know, they're discovering things that are well out with the, the you know, it, what they would have been exposed to otherwise if it was I mean, poor old me when I had like 10 cassettes, you know and, and that was absolutely my education, that was yeah. my musical education I wonder what would have happened if I had the exposure that just, kids have got now. Yeah, I know, exactly. Um, I think that's the perfect place to leave it. So, Peter, thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll be back soon uh, with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm-hmm.